Welcome to From There to Here with your host, Miranda Dekonski. Together, we'll explore our personal journeys and how they have impacted where we are today. We hope that you'll walk away inspired, motivated, energized, and knowing that there is no right or wrong path. Each path is uniquely our own. And now your host, Miranda. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of From There to Here. I'm your host, Miranda Dekonski, and today I am excited and honored to be speaking with Melissa McMillan. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Miranda. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's so nice to get to chat to you or chat with you uh, face-to-face. We met each other on Clubhouse, ironically. Yeah, we would do panels on Clubhouse together, and it was so nice to get to hear your insights and and talk about important things happening in tech and in customer success. And I think Clubhouse is maybe not as popular as it was at that time, but during the pandemic, it was was hot (laughs) and it was a lot of fun. I was just going to ask, I mean, are you still doing anything on Clubhouse? Because I know. I think I took the app off my phone. Yeah, I think it, it had its moment in the sun and it's kind of over now. So maybe it'll get cool again. But uh, no, I don't think it's really happening so much anymore. Uh, well, bummer. I think it had a, a little place and I learned a lot on Clubhouse. But yeah, uh, anyway, we're moving on. <laughs> so for those that don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, maybe where you grew up? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Melissa McMillan. I'm currently the director of customer success over at Electric, which is an IT company. And uh, we've got services and SaaS side. But I grew up in a town about an hour north of Dallas called Melissa, Texas. I'm dead serious. Um, (laughs) Melissa from Melissa is still what some of my childhood friends' parents call me. Um, But I've been living in San Francisco for about 10 years now, um, working in tech. So San Francisco is home. And I've been building customer success teams and in customer success leadership for about seven years now. So my expertise is really in building and scaling early stage customer success teams for B2B SaaS startups. I just really love coming in and problem solving. So implementing the necessary software, writing the playbooks, creating scalable structure and processes, hiring the team, all of that stuff to mature a CS department from square one to a proactive machine. So uh, being in Silicon Valley is the perfect place for that. Yeah, no, wonderful. And for those that are dialing in or tuning in, sorry, it's early for me. So I am still getting my caffeine in me and finding my words. Uh, For those that are tuning in to hear us talk about customer success, bad news. Today, we're not going to talk about customer success. We're actually going to learn about Melissa and you know, her journey, you know, maybe some of the trials and tribulations she's had along the way. Um, So what did you want to do when you were growing up? You know, uh, not customer success, not tech. I'll tell you that. It wasn't really a a thing at the time, Um, but I was really passionate about art, um, poetry and books from a young age. So I wanted to be an artist or a writer. I was actually the editor-in-chief of my middle school newspaper, my high school newspaper, and my university's magazine. Um, but fortunately, I also had the good sense to get a degree in business as well as journalism, and that has served me very well. So I highly recommend to anybody who's a little unsure of what they're thinking they want to do in life, getting a business degree in addition to something you may be more passionate about can really set you up for a lot more options. Yeah, I agree. I got a business degree as well, and it's very easily applicable to many, many industries. So right. Good choice. So the art thing, do you still, do you have anything that you do now that gives you that outlet? Yeah, I do actually. I think it's really important to have that kind of an outlet. So um, I'm really into photography, 
Um, I'm really into painting as well. So um, watercolor mostly, sometimes acrylic, nothing advanced, um, but I really like to do that. I read a lot of poetry and read a lot of books. Um, of course, I read customer success books and things like that too, but I make sure that I carve out space for books that are just interesting, uh, maybe about history or um, just fiction, you know, just stories are a lot of yeah. fun. Um, but I think my favorite will still always be poetry. I love reading poetry and, and sometimes writing poetry as well. So a little uh, maybe unknown facts about me, but I'm very into photography and painting as well. Wow. What kind of photography are you into? My favorite has always been portrait. I really love people's portraits. Um, so even in like high school and college, I, I had some scholarships for mostly portrait photography. Oh, that's wonderful. Are you out now? Do you, do you have like a medium? What kind of camera do you like to use? You know, I still have a little Canon DLSR, but you know what? I'll tell you, these iPhone cameras have gotten so good that it's like, I don't even feel like I need to bust my nice camera out anymore. I've got the iPhone, I think it's the 12 plus. And yeah. the photos I'm taking on that thing have gotten so impressive that I never bust out my nice camera anymore. Isn't that crazy? I So I go out hiking um, pretty much every weekend and I have a Leica Q. It's a mirrorless camera. and when I first started using it, I found it very challenging because there's no zoom. You get what you get in the frame. So you have to be very deliberate about how you frame things and realizing that you're going to have to crop if you want, you know, a close up or whatever. Um, but I will find even when I'm out on my hikes, taking pictures of like a beautiful scene, I will take it with my Leica and then I'll pop my damn iPhone out <laughs> and take it with my iPhone. Uh, and the pictures are just so amazing. It's, it's kind of, it's like everybody has now the ability to be a photographer right in their back pocket. It's true. And I love how it allows you to capture those moments that you might not otherwise have captured before it was this way. I was that kid that was always carrying around one of the disposable cameras. Me too. Right. I just, I wanted to save those moments, like fun times with your friends, your family, whatever. Like uh, if I don't have a picture of it, I might forget. And so I liked to take the pictures and, and do that everywhere I went. So it's just so great to be able to have that now and little family moments or little moments with your friends you get to capture. And um, even the way that the iPhone will tell you like, oh, memories two years yes. ago today or whatever. Yes. I just love that. I do too. Here's the funny thing is, is, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands, when I was doing that, folks would cringe. They're like, Oh, why are you always taking pictures? And now here we are 20, 30 years later. And they're like, Oh my God, that's so cool. Look at that picture. And I'm like, right. welcome. Exactly. <laughs> now you get to remember that fun night where we were having such a nice time that we might otherwise not have even remembered. Absolutely. So are there any moments from your childhood or past that mapped the path that you took to get you to where you are today? You know, I think the one that it was the biggest one that kind of caused this like shift in my career. It's actually a really funny story. It's how I went from sales to customer success. Because I, after school, I was doing sales. It was just what made sense. I felt like I had a good personality for it. It was kind of easy for me. So I just kind of fell into sales, but it wasn't really something that I thought I necessarily wanted to do. I was doing account executive work at a company here in the Bay Area. And you might remember in San Francisco, there was a time before the pandemic where we often had shuttles that yes. took us all to work. It was yes. so nice, <laughs> right? And so I rode a shuttle um, as just my little you know, junior account executive self. And a lot of the folks in senior leadership were on that same shuttle. And the folks at this company were um, 
more technical. So they hadn't spent a lot of time in their careers talking to customers or dealing with maybe those more soft skills types of things. And so I would overhear them talking about customer escalations that had gotten really off the rails. And they were just so confused. They had no idea what to do. And so after, you know, maybe hearing this a couple of times, I was just kind of like, hey, um, you know, not to eavesdrop, sorry to, to interrupt, but I really think that we need to refund and, and do right with that customer. Like we really messed up bad on that one. Um, yeah. And so we would talk about it. And it eventually became this thing where they would come to me with this, this has gone off the rails. We don't know what to do. And, and nine times out of 10, it was so easy for me. Just yeah, do right with a customer, guys. It's super easy. Yeah. But they just didn't have that customer experience and, and hadn't spent time in that. You know, I had all through like high school and college worked waiting tables and retail. So I was very used to the whole customer is always right, you know, world. Um, so I was able to just kind of give them advice. And it was a kind of weird positioning because I was very junior and they were very senior. But then they decided, you know what, we as a company need a customer success team. And so we're going to tap you to help build that out. And I had a lot of supervision in building out my first customer success team. But that was how I made the shift from sales to customer success was just because I, I wasn't too shy to be like, hey, I really think that we should maybe give the customer a refund in that situation. And it paid off. That's, that's really crazy. If you think about it, you could have just sat quietly and said nothing and be yeah. on a very different path today. Absolutely. A lot of folks do that. They're, they have this fear of you know, oh my gosh, they're more superior than me, or they have a bigger title than me. Uh, I welcome ideas, regardless of what the title is, regardless of how long you've been doing it. Sometimes those are where some of the best ideas come from. Um, I know myself, I am guilty of getting stuck in the weeds. Sometimes I get stuck into, this is how we do it because this is the way we've done it. And it can feel like a little painful to, to kind of evolve or change things sometimes. So I love when folks challenge or offer up new ideas, but you could have been on a very different career path if you hadn't spoken up. Yeah, I have no idea what I would be doing today if I hadn't said something and it set me up for this trajectory into a space that I really love. But also, I think that's something I really love about startups. You know, I feel like in startups, we, we do a pretty good job of creating a culture where your senior leadership is more approachable. And that's something that you don't always see in big corporations. That's one of the things that I really love about being in that space. I feel like almost every startup I've been at, I would feel okay going to a CEO or a CCO and letting them know that I had an idea. And not every space creates that. That's true. That's so true. So if you could do anything other than what you're doing right now, and just let's just say money is no object and you could just, you know, snap your fingers and you have the skills, what would you want to do? You know, what I would want to do is going right back to what I thought I wanted to do as a kid. If money was no no issue, I would be writing fiction and writing poetry. Um, however, not a lot of bills are going to get paid doing that. So that's going to remain a hobby for now. But who knows, maybe one day I'll, I'll do that more full time or, or something to that effect. But that's always been an interest that I think I, I kind of start to lean back to. Um, and uh, to be fair, communication skills, written skills are definitely something you use all the time. So I'm, I'm still getting to use that creative energy in other ways, but I would be probably living in the woods somewhere in a cottage, writing poetry and writing fiction. See, this sounds so amazing right now. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, kind of. I mean, we've all kind of been living in our own little cottages for the last two years, and now we're starting to come out of our cocoons again. <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm living in a stack of cottages in San Francisco's Mission District. <laughs> exactly. 
If you could give your 18 year old self advice on anything, what would you tell yourself? You know what? I would tell that little girl to relax because I was so feeling the pressure at that age to know what I wanted to do and to really get on that path. And I think that's probably true for most people that age. You know, you have to make some really important decisions about what university are you going to go to and what major are you going to choose and, and what trajectory are you trying to be on for your career? And I just felt very, very pressured by that. And every time I had a little bit of a pivot, I was hard on myself. And so I would go back and tell that girl, like, you are a child. It's okay. You know, you're going to have a couple little pivots. And there are going to be times where you're not sure what you want to do or if you're on the right path. And you've got plenty of time to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my son is going to be 21 in like a week. And I don't know how, you know, the, the young adults right now are managing through all of the things that are going on in the world and trying to find themselves. Um, there is so much pressure to pick a path or pick a career. And, um, well, I get it in some regards, right. You need to get through school and, you know, try to, try to get on a path. I think folks do themselves a tremendous disservice of being too rigid, too rigid in, their plans. And then they end up missing out on some very important learning opportunities or moments that could take them down a different path. Kind of like when you spoke up on that shuttle, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's so important for people to explore while they're young, other interests and things like that, because it does get harder and harder as you're older. So, you know, seize that opportunity while you're in school to explore some different options, you know, maybe take on a minor or or join a club or, you know, do some things that are interesting. And if you have to spend an extra year, an extra two years graduating because you fully changed your major, like that is going to be totally fine. It will be fine in the grand scheme of things. In the moment, it feels like, oh my God, another year. But when you look back on it, you're like, oh, what are years anyway? (laughs) Exactly. It's like, you're still graduating at what, 23, 24, if something like that happens. That's still a baby. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So Let's take a look through your work history. Um, Do you have a mistake that you made along the way that was a big learning moment for you? You know, yes, I I had to think about this one a lot. And I think that it's less a one event, one blow up event, and more of a, a recurring like bad habit that I had to learn and get out of. And it was really around, you know, I'm I'm coming from a writer background and things like that. So often when I had something I was trying to convince people of. So maybe it was people on products. I needed to convince them about this problem that's impacting a lot of customers. Or maybe in leadership, I really need to convince them that me and my team really need this resource, really need this kind of support in some way. And I would come to them almost with like an emotional appeal. You know, here's the customer feedback. Here's the language and the words around why this is important and why we need this. And for folks that are especially like technical people, that just wasn't being received. They didn't understand that. And so I had to learn through trial and error and feeling like I was sometimes banging my head against the wall and getting nowhere that I needed to demonstrate this kind of stuff with numbers, with data, you know, show people that this is negatively impacting our NPS scores, our CSAT scores in this way. And this is going to impact churn or impact revenue in this way. And if I can show them in like a couple charts and graphs with data in just a couple slides, you know, maybe just one slide in an email then suddenly it clicks into place for people like that. So I really had to learn, like, how do I appropriately communicate what I'm trying to communicate with these people and get what we need as a department or for my customers or whatever it may be? And it was not the emotional appeal and the words. It was always going to tie back to the data and the numbers. 
Yeah. Yeah. I do think there is something to be said though for tying emotion to data. <laughs> That's yeah, like the creme right. de la creme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, painting that picture with both quantitative and qualitative data, I think is like the 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 mecca of yeah, right. the holistic view. I was giving them one half of the holistic view and they were like, I don't, this is, this is not going to work for me. Yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, tell me what this does to the business. What does this do to the bottom line? Right. Totally. So, you know, we kind of went over a little bit of your history and where you've been to get you here. Let's think a hundred years from now, when folks are thinking about Melissa, what do you want them to think of you for? What do you want your legacy to be? You know, I really want my legacy to be around the people that I've mentored and developed. That's what I'm most passionate about in terms of leadership. And I I think it's something that we don't see enough of. Um, I've interviewed a lot of CSMs and hired a lot of CSMs. And of course, I ask people, you know, why are you looking to maybe leave your current company or or to make a change? And it seems like 90% of the time, the answer is that they, they love their company. They love their team but they're not getting any kind of real direction in terms of a path forward or a way to get promoted or maybe even a way to shift into another role that's interesting to them. And so something that um, I have to shout out my business coach because she taught me how to do this. I did not invent this, um, but amazing lady named April Saeed, S-Y-E-D. And she taught me how to basically put together a playbook and a, a spreadsheet with all of the different role requirements for these jobs, right? So it's like we've got customer success manager, senior customer success manager, team lead, and then maybe adjacent roles that someone could be interested in going into, like something in marketing or something in product. And so once a month, I like to sit with those CSMs and this is the skills that we're lacking to get to the next step that we want to get into. And then we're going to take those skills that we know we're lacking, we have a separate tab, and we're tracking what is the current status on the route to gaining that skill what's needed to accomplish so that we can really check this off of our list and how are we going to demonstrate mastery? And then once we know those things, then when I have other department heads or other leaders coming to me with initiatives or projects that they need help on, great, I know who to tap. And then they're going to gain this skill. And it's really great also at making sure that we're promoting people either on my team or maybe getting them a role on another team without any unconscious bias. Because it's a very different conversation to go to, let's say, my director of marketing and say, hey, I've got this CSM who's really interested in going into marketing. And I think she'd be awesome at it. As opposed to, hey, I've got this CSM who's interested in going into marketing. We've been tracking her skills. And per your JD, she has hit every single one of these markers. So I think it would be really smart to get this person in the funnel. And then they're able to actually get seriously considered and often get that role. So we're retaining quality talent. We're getting people promoted. And they have a path forward and something that they can even use far beyond the time that we're working together. And then their next boss is going to be very impressed that they're tracking stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't smile more. Um, I've done something similar through my career. I wish I had the time to be more diligent about it and you know do it on a regular frequency. I am doing um, monthly career development conversations. Uh, But once I have folks at the more senior leadership level, the matrix kind of falls off. So I have it definitely for associate manager, senior manager, and, you know, and through there. And now it's time to get it to director and VP and and all of that. So I really love that you're doing that. And I wish more folks would do that. It helps folks think about their path and the skill sets they need to work on. And it also always answers the question for them in their mind, like what's next for me? 
Uh, Paint a picture, paint a picture for your team members um, of where they could be in a year or where they could be in six months. I think a lot of folks leave companies, like you said, but because they don't have direction, but also they can't see what's next for them. They can't see a future. And even if we try to tell folks just to kind of enjoy the journey and, you know, kind of go with the flow, the reality is people want growth. People want to show that they're achieving things. And if we can't give it or help them uh, show that or do that, we'll likely lose them. Yep, that's exactly right. And it's something that I think, like you said, needs to become more popular and, um, you know, get out there. There's so many incredibly talented people that have to leave companies and promote themselves that the company would do so much better if they could just retain that quality talent. Yeah, absolutely. So last question I have for you. If you could have dinner with any two people dead or alive, who would they be and why? Um, First one has to be Lady Gaga. So I am a huge Lady Gaga fan. Um, I just got tickets to the Chromatic Ball. I'm beyond pumped. What Um, is the Chromatic Ball? I'm so sorry. Her her concert. So she's coming to San Francisco in September. Okay. Yeah, so I will be there front row. So, okay. Silly question. And this is someone who I don't, I'm not a huge Lady Gaga fan. I do like her music, but it's not something I follow. So it's called the Chromatic Ball. So is it just a regular concert or is it an actual ball? So it's a regular concert, but the album is called Chromatica. And so people are calling it the Chromatica Ball. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you for clarifying. I feel like I'm elderly sometimes and I have to ask these questions. Uh, and then, no. yeah, no problem at all. Person. We'll have to bring you to the chromatic ball, Miranda. You'll love it. <laughs> I'll be in the, I'll be dancing and partying all night long with all the young ones. Yes. We'll get you in the pit. We'll get you, we'll teach you some of the choreo from rain on me. You'll be ready to go. I'm there for it. I am totally there for it. <laughs> who's, your, who's your other person? My other person is actually going to be RuPaul. Oh, and I've been a big voice. fan of, of RuPaul for many years. And I just feel like the the advice that he dispenses is actually incredible and so usable. And anytime I've listened to like a podcast or even get on his TV show, things that he's telling people about, um, you know, self-love and self-actualization and healing and things of that nature are just so great. So I feel like between the two of them, getting advice and having a real like heart-to-heart conversation, I would probably walk away so um, like with my cup so full you know, and, and learn some real like skills about, you know, how to better, you know, self-actualize and, and take care of myself and, and stuff like that. So I think that between the two of them, it would be a really wonderful conversation in time. I could, yeah. And would you do it together? Do you think you would have RuPaul and Lady Gaga? I mean, that would be fun, right? Could you imagine? That'd be such a great dinner vibe. Absolutely. And RuPaul's just fabulous. I enjoy everything that they put out. And I'm just kind of curious, do you know, have you watched the Netflix series that RuPaul had that was canceled? I think it was canceled. Yes. Way too, um, soon. Way too soon. AJ and the Queen? Yes. Yes. So good. It, a crime that it was canceled. Oh. I'm calling a lawyer. I, we should. Let's just start it like a GoFundMe. Start a class action lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Melissa. 
Thank you so much for spending the time with me today. I really appreciate it. Waking up with you has been awesome on this Thursday morning. So thank you. And thank you for everything you do in the community. Really appreciate thank you. it. I appreciate you saying that. And I'm so grateful to, to know you and to be able to be on this podcast together and to have you in my customer success community. So thank you so much for having me. Yes. And now that I know that you're in San Francisco, I don't know why I thought you were in Texas. We're going to have to totally do brunch or something. Yes, we have to. And, and the chromatic ball, of course. Of course. All right, Melissa. Thank you so much. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks for listening today. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of From There to Here. Check back weekly for new episodes. For more conversations about this episode and more, please feel free to follow Miranda on LinkedIn. See you soon.